Chapter 10 of Aunt Jane's Nieces at Millville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katine. Aunt Jane's Nieces at Millville by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 10 The Mystery Deepens. Ethel Thompson came over the next day as she had promised, and the sweet-faced, gentle schoolmistress won the hearts of Uncle John's three nieces without an effort. She was the eldest of them all, but her retired country life had kept her fresh and natural, and Ethel seemed no more mature than the younger girls, except in a certain gravity that early responsibility had thrust upon her. Together, the four laughing, light-hearted maids wandered through the pines where the little schoolma'am showed them many pretty nooks and mossy banks that the others had not yet discovered. By following an unsuspected path, they cut across the wooded hills to the waterfall where Little Bill Creek made a plunge of twenty feet into a rocky basin below. In spite of the bubbles, the water here showed clear as crystal, and the girls admiringly christened it the Champagne Cup. They shed their shoes and stockings and waded in the pool, enjoying the sport with shrieks of merry laughter, more because they were happy than that there was anything to laugh at. Afterward, they traced the stream down to a lovely glade a half-mile above Millville, where Ethel informed them the annual Sunday school picnic was always held, and then trailed across the rocky plateau to the farm. By the time they reached home, their appetites were well sharpened for Mary's excellent luncheon, and the afternoon was devoted to rest under the shady pines that grew beside the house. It was now, when they felt thoroughly acquainted and at ease in one another's society, that the girls indulged in talks concerning events in their past, and Ethel was greatly interested in the niece's recital of their recent trip abroad with Uncle John. They also spoke frankly of their old life together at Elmhurst, where Aunt Jane, who was Uncle John's sister, had congregated her three nieces, for the purpose of choosing from among them one to inherit her vast estates. It seemed no source of regret to any of them that a boy, Kenneth Forbes, had finally succeeded to Aunt Jane's property, and this may be explained by the fact that Uncle John, at that interesting juncture, appeared to take charge of the nieces. It was quite evident that the eccentric but kindly old fellow had succeeded in making these three girls as happy as their dispositions would allow them to be. After the most interesting phases of their personal history had been discussed, the nieces began, perhaps unconsciously, to draw from Ethel her own story. It was simple enough, and derived its interest mainly from the fact that it concerned their new friend. Her parents had both passed away while she was young, and Ethel had always lived with her father's father, Big Will Thompson, a man reputed very well-to-do for this section, and an energetic farmer from his youth. Old Will had always been accused of being unsociable and considering himself above the neighboring farmers, and it was true that Bob West, the implement dealer, was his only associate before Captain Wegg arrived. A casual acquaintance with the Millville people might easily explain this. With the advent of the Weggs, however, a strong friendship seemed to spring up between the retired sea captain and the bluff, erratic old farmer, which lasted until the fatal day, when one died and the other became a paralytic and a maniac. We have always thought, said Ethel, that the shock of the captain's death unsettled my grandfather's mind. They had been sitting quietly in Captain Wegg's room one evening, as they were accustomed to do, when there was a sudden fall and a cry, 
Thomas ran in at once and found Grandfather raving over the captain's dead body. The old seaman had heart disease, it seems, and had often declared he would die suddenly. It was a great blow to us all, but especially to Joe. Her voice softened at this last remark, and Patsy exclaimed impulsively, "'Tell us about Joe Wegg. Did you like him?' "'Yes,' said Ethel simply. "'We were naturally thrown much together in our childhood and became staunch friends.' Grandpa often took me with him on his visits to the Weggs, and sometimes, but not often, the captain would bring Joe to see us. He was a quiet, thoughtful boy, much like his mother, I imagine, but for some reason he had conceived an intense dislike for his father, and an open hatred for this part of the country where he was born. Aside from these morbid notions, Joe was healthy-minded and frank and genuine. Had he been educated in any other atmosphere than the gloomy one of the Wegg household, I'm sure Joe's character would have been wholly admirable, and I have never blamed the boy much for his peculiarities. Captain Wegg would not permit him to go to school, but himself attended to such instructions as Joe could acquire at home, and this was so meager, and the boy so ambitious, that I think it was one cause of his discontent. I remember when I was sent to school at Troy that Joe sobbed for days because he could not have the same advantages. He used to tell me wonderful stories of what he would accomplish if he could only get out into the world. When he implored his father to let him go away, Captain Wegg used to assure Joe that he would some day be rich and there was no need of his preparing himself for either a business or a profession. But that did not satisfy Joe's ambition, as you may imagine. And when the end came, scarcely a dollar of money could be found among the captain's possessions, and no other property than this farm so it is evident he deceived his son for some selfish purpose. Joe was at last free, and the only thing I reproach him for is going away without a word to me or any of his friends. I heard, indirectly, of his working his way through a technical school, for he was always crazy about mechanics, and then he went to New York, and I lost all further trace of him. "'What do you suppose became of Captain Wake's money?' asked Louise. "'I have no idea.' It's a singular thing that most of my grandfather's savings disappeared at the same time. On account of his mental condition, he can never tell us what became of his little fortune. But luckily, the returns from the farm, which we rent on shares, and my own salary as teacher of the district school, enable us to live quite comfortably, although we must be economical. Why, it's really a romance, cried Patsy, who had listened eagerly. There are many romances in real life, added Beth, in her undemonstrative way. Louise said nothing, but her heart was throbbing with excitement engendered by the tale, which so strongly corroborated the suspicions she had begun to entertain. When Ethel had gone home, Louise still deliberated upon this fascinating mystery, and her resolve grew to force some sort of explanation from the smiling lips of old Hucks for the sole available witness of that fatal night's tragedy when one strong man died and another was driven mad was thomas hucks the old servitor was also in a position to know much of the causes leading up to the catastrophe he having been the confidential retainer of captain wegg for many years hucks must speak but the girl was wise enough to realize he would not do so unless urged by coaxing or forced by strategy there was doubtless good reason why the old man had remained silent for three years. Her plan was to win his confidence, interest him in Joe's welfare, and then the truth must come out. The frankly related story of Ethel had supplied Louise with the motive for the crime, 
for that a crime had been committed she was now doubly sure. Captain Wake had money. Old Will Thompson had money. Both were well-to-do men. In a retired country district, where there were no banks, it was reasonable to suppose they kept large sums of money on hand, and the knowledge of this fact had tempted someone to a dreadful deed. Captain Wegg had been killed, and old Thompson, perhaps injured by a blow upon the head from which he had never recovered. Any suspicion the fair young detective may have entertained that Thompson himself had killed his friend was eradicated by the fact that he had been robbed at the same time. Louise had originally undertaken her investigation through curiosity and a desire to amuse herself by unveiling the mystery. Now she began to reflect that she was an instrument of justice, for a discovery of the truth might restore a fortune to poor Joe Wegg, now struggling with the world, and put sweet Ethel Thompson in a position where the necessity for her to teach school would be abolished. This thought added a strong impulse to her determination to succeed. Sunday afternoon the girl took blind Nora for a long drive through the country, taking pains to explain to her all the points of interest they came to, and delighting the old woman with her bright chatter. Louise had been kind to Nora from the beginning, and her soft, sympathetic voice had quite won the poor creature's heart. On the way home, in the delightful summer twilight, the girl dexterously led the conversation toward Nora's past history. "'Was Thomas a sailor when you married him?' she asked. "'Yes, miss. He were bosun on Captain Wegg's schooner, the lively Kate, and I were living with Miss Mary, as come to be Mrs. Wegg outward. "'Oh, I see. And were you blind then, Nora?' "'No, miss. I went blind arter our great trouble come to us.' "'Trouble? Oh, I'm sorry, dear. What was it?' The old woman was silent for a time. Then she said, "'I'd better not mention it, I guess.' Thomas likes to forget, and when I gets crying and nervous he knows I've been thinking about the old trouble. Louise was disappointed, but changed the subject adroitly. And Miss Mary, who was afterward Mrs. Wegg, did you love her, Nora? Indeed I did, child. What was she like? She were gentle and sweet and the most beautiful creature in all, in, in the place where we lived, and her family was that proud and aristocratic that no one could touch them with a ten-foot pole. I see. Did she love Captain Wegg? Naturally, since she married of him, and fit all her family to do it, and the captain were that proud of her that he thought the world lay in her sweet eyes. Oh, I had an idea he didn't treat her well, remarked the girl soberly. That's wrong, declared Nora promptly. Otter the trouble come, for it come to the Weggs as well as to Tom and me. The captain sorter lost heart to see his Mary cry day arter day, and never be comforted. He were hard hit himself, you see, and that made it a gloomy house, and no mistake. Do you mean after you moved here to the farm? Yes, dearie. I hear Captain Wegg was very fond of Ethel's grandfather, continued Louise, trying to find an opening to penetrate old Nora's reserve. They was good friends always, was the brief reply. Did they ever quarrel, Nora? Never that I knows of. And what do you suppose became of their money? asked the girl. I don't know, child. Are we getting near home? We are quite near now. I wish you would open your heart to me and tell me about that great trouble, Nora. I might be able to comfort you in some way. The blind woman shook her head. There's no comfort but in forgetting, she said, and the way to forget ain't to talk about it. The unsatisfactory result of this conversation did not discourage Louise, although she was sorry to meet with no better success. 
Gradually she was learning the inside history of the Weggs. When she discovered what that great trouble had been, she would secure an important clue in the mystery, she was sure. Nora might sometime be induced to speak more freely, and it was possible she might get the desired information from old Hux. She would try, anyway. A dozen theories might be constructed to account for this great trouble. The one that Louise finally favored was that Captain Wegg had been guilty of some crime on the high seas, in which his boatswain, old Hux, was likewise implicated. They were obliged to abandon the sea and fly to some out-of-the-way corner inland, where they could be safely hidden and their whereabouts never discovered. It was the knowledge of this crime, she conjectured, that had ruined Sweet Winces Wegg's life and made her weep day after day until her guilty husband became surly and silent and unsociable. Louise now began to cultivate Thomas, but her progress was slow. Patsy seemed to be the old man's favorite, and for some reason he became glum and uncommunicative whenever Louise was around. The girl suspected that Nora had told her husband of the recent conversation, in spite of her assertion that she wished to avoid all reference to their great trouble. End of chapter 10 Recording by Katine